Welcome to the Consume Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message for such a time as this. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consume Church, check us out at theconsumechurch.com. This morning to worship together. And I'm getting more and more to where I value his presence more than anything in life. Just to just to linger, just to be with him. I'm convinced the only way to live. He is salvation. His name. Did y'all notice that we oh we glorified and worshiped the Holy Spirit. We invited Him. We glorified and worshiped Jesus the Son, our mighty King, Yeshua, our Deliverer, our Savior. And then we told the Father how much we love Him. I love that. Have a, a full on relationship with all persons of the Godhead. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm developing when I speak to God to acknowledge and to enrich the depths of my understanding and even my ability to relate to God the way in which he's revealed himself. I'm so grateful. Grateful that we get to do that together. Worship team, that was just such a good job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We were out last week. Some of you know me and Lauren. Um, we have part of our business, one of our businesses, uh, is in the fiberglass boat repair, and our customer base is uh, primarily professional or semi-professional bass fishermen in repairing their fiberglass bass boats. And so we're, the Lord has ingrained us somewhat into that community, and it's really been wonderful to um, embrace them and have the opportunity to love on them and share Jesus with some of them and be a part of that community. But anyway, so during the spring, you'll notice we're out you know, once a month or whatever, but that's what we're doing. Uh, so we see it as an opportunity to shine the light. Uh, we see that as part of our calling to uh, get outside the fall, four world, walls of the church and to uh, step into uh, being a light to the world. Anyway, so we love it. We had a great time uh, doing that last weekend, but we did miss you guys. There's been such a ramping up of the spirit of what God's doing here at the church. Just like every day, if it's a Tuesday, if it's Wednesday, the Lord is just showing up in power and in, in beauty. Uh, so anyways, we've, we've just enjoyed that. It's hard to get away. It's like, I don't think I want to miss Sunday. I don't want to miss an opportunity to experience the Lord on that kind of a level. But anyways, today uh, we celebrate the deliverance of God. We celebrate Yeshua. His name actually means deliverance. Jesus is a form of Joshua, which is Yeshua. And that name actually means deliverer. And so it's just beautiful to sing deliverer, deliverer, deliverer. And as you know, I've been preaching lately talking about our salvation experience and what it means. And I think that's healthy to, to push on the walls of our understanding and 
step into a greater understanding of just what God has actually done for us in Christ Jesus and how he's given us this gift and how we get to actually work it out, work with it. Anyway, so um, this week, for some of you may or may not know, uh, there is a Jewish holiday called Purim. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, the word Purim is, is uh, I don't think that's Hebrew. That's actually a transliteration, I think, from uh, an Assyrian language, but whatever. It, it's a word that means lots, and it follows the story of Queen Esther and a period in the life of the Jews that was about 2,500 years ago. And it's such a beautiful thing because as they celebrate, what they celebrate is the deliverance of God. Uh, today, it's commonly uh, treated like a, like a holiday, like a festival, uh, where they actually dress up in costumes, almost like Halloween, and they act out. Uh, Haman, uh, how many of you know the story of Esther? Wicked Haman, the devil incarnate, so to speak. An, an evil politician, you know, evil ruler, someone that was uh, uh, thought more of himself than of the people that he was there to serve, but... Anyways, and then you have the story of Esther herself, or actually her name in Hebrew was Hadassah. That was her Hebrew name. And so, anyways, I would like to just talk about the story of Esther, and I would like to refer to it as the gospel of Esther, or the gospel according to Esther. Because you know that uh, all those patriarchs and matriarchs who went before us in faith, that their life actually testifies and tells the salvation message. So when we talk about uh, the deliverance of God that is so evident in the story, it was Yeshua delivering them even then through the faith. You know, the story goes that she was an orphan. Not only was she an orphan, she was from a people that were in a faraway land, a land that wasn't theirs, and being governed and ruled by foreign rule. And yet they still had their own sense of God rule, of, of their own sense of, um, you know, knowing the law, having their own principles, their own way of life. And as you know, uh, this world doesn't much care for uh, absolutes when we decide to worship God and God alone, and that's the way that, right, isn't that the, that's what got them in trouble, got Mordecai in trouble and started the story off in a bad way, is that the first commandment in the Ten Commandments is, you'll have no other God before me. So there's no bowing to another human being as a God. And that's what Haman wanted, was to be worshipped uh, through fear, you know. And uh, the enemy always does that. Tempts us to fear and to actually yield and bow to his threats. So that we would alter our lives according to giving him his due. And how many know that as we serve the living God, we don't have to bow the knee? Hallelujah. But I was thinking about the timing. How's that timing working for y'all this morning? Did y'all wake up this morning and go, oh man, my clock says it's 7 a.m., but I, I feel like it's really 6 a.m. Thank you for making the effort to be here. God bless you for that. I know I woke up this morning like, Lord, <laughs> how about another hour? How about another hour? 
But, you know, as, as we were gone last weekend and uh, I decided, as I'm still, you know, healing with my foot, I decided to stay a couple days. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with, we have a condominium at a lake. And um, we were staying there and it's quiet, peaceful and quiet. And uh, so Lauren came home, I, I guess, Monday morning, and I decided to stay and just read the word and pray. And I've got a book that I'm reading, uh, a good theology book. And I stayed a little longer, and it was so wonderful and peaceful, so quiet out there. But I noticed that when I drove back into town uh, Tuesday afternoon, that, you know, just in a matter of a couple of days, the world can change. And so, you know, I noticed that last week, even though we feel like it changed for us because it hit us in the mouth at the gas pump. It's, it's really something, but I could, it was tangible. The anxiety, the anger, the frustration, just the way people drive, just coming back into town. I could, I could cut it with a knife, you know. For a year when we first uh, started pastoring this church, we lived out there, and we drove an hour and a half one way every day, three hours in the car every day, we prayed all the time, but I always notice that, you know, going from out there where there's not the disturbance, so to speak, in the spirit. There's just less people out there. We come into the city, and you could feel just the outrage. And um, so I'm reading this book. It's called Evil and the Justice of God by N.T. Wright. And one of the points that he made was that, you know, we don't know what to do with evil. And he's really getting to the cross. I haven't finished yet. I can't wait. But what God has done about evil, we don't know where it came from. He's certainly not the author or the originator of evil. And it's certainly not in his heart, but yet it exists because he loves us so much, he gave us free will. And we've made decisions that bring it up. But he made a point talking about how we deal with evil first, not how God deals with evil, because we look in his word and we see how he deals with evil. But the way that we tend to deal with evil is to ignore it largely. Say, ah, oh, that's awful. There's such great evil going on, you know, 5,000 miles away from here. Lord, help them. And it really doesn't come to roost that evil even exists. You realize we live in a society, the, the worldview that we're inundated with is one that's called postmodernism. And it basically puts all the blame on the powers that be and nothing really matters anymore. There's no absolutes. Evil doesn't exist. Man has elevated himself to a place where Knowledge is power, and we are able to do all these great things for ourselves. And we largely ignore evil until it punches us in the face, until it actually takes a bite out of our comfort and our peace and our safety. And then typically what we do, so one, we largely ignore it. Two, we don't pay attention to, to it until it hits us in the face. And then the third thing we do is react poorly, as if, we can't believe it. And I know what we're going to do. We're going to stomp that evil out. And it's usually we draw a line and we say it's those people over there are evil and we're the good ones. You know, the Arabs are evil. The United States is, is God's answer to the world. And it's not really that simple. You know, so let's just, 9-11 happens. Let's just turn the Middle East into a glass bowl. I mean, you know, I, I have a, not that I say that, but I mean, that was kind of the, in the world, you know, the guys I was working with, you know, that, that's the answer. Oh, just push the button, eliminate evil. 
you know, our beloved George Bush, he, he uh, coined the phrase, the axis of evil and pinned it on the Middle East. There's a lot of wonderful, innocent people over there. But the point that he makes is he was quoting some other philosopher that the line between good and evil isn't us and them, but the line between good and evil typically runs right up the middle of each and every one of us. And what Jesus has done about evil, what God has done about evil, is to deliver us from the evil one. Amen? And his name, the deliverer, is Yeshua. I want to talk about this story, though, that's going on. Back to my story about Esther. Uh, You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it, by faith, for by it, the people of old received the commendation. And if you drop down to 32, you know the, I love the 11th chapter of Hebrews. It, we call that the hall of faith. Where it talks about um, Abraham and Sarah and even Jacob. David gets mentioned. Um, Abel is mentioned as he starts going through the list. And um, verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and then skipping a little bit down to verse 39, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And, you know, I think it's funny. Uh, he says, time would fail me to talk about all these people. Even Barak, you know, Barak, I mean, uh, the fact that he got mentioned, or Barak, Barak, whatever, um, the fact that he even got mentioned, you know, is kind of de facto. There's a couple of women that actually did the delivering. I think it was JL that drove the spike through Sisera, that was his name, the, the evil ruler at the time, drove a spike tent peg right through his forehead. But Barak kind of got the credit, you know. And it was Deborah, actually, that he leaned on because he didn't have his own courage. So it was a partnership. So what I'm saying is there's a lot of people that fall into that category, Esther, namely, that I want to talk about today, that actually tapped into the deliverance of God and uh, walking it out. And the, the point of chapter 11 was chapter 12, right? Because they're part of the great cloud of witnesses. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us set aside the weight and the sin that so easily trips us up and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so the title of the message today, taken right out of the book of Esther for such a time as this, stepping into God's timing. And many of you know that when I talk about God's timing, we're talking about eternal life. That when he's given us life, we actually step outside of our time and into God's time and into his presence. But that's where his time is. His stepping into his timing is all about his presence, all about oneness with him. And I'm coming at this from different angles, talking about challenging our understanding of what it means to be saved. It's 
It's such a wonderful ocean to dive into of what God has done for us and what he's doing for us and what he's going to do for us. His salvation's like that. It wasn't just a one-off event. It's been going on since the day that Adam and Eve fell. The promise was spoken of deliverance over Adam and Eve both. There was always a way made for God to rescue his people. And it was always in his heart, right? Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the gospel according to Esther. We see some really cool elements in the book of Esther, and it's 10 chapters long. And as much as I'd love to keep you here all day and read 10 chapters of the book of Esther, it's probably not a good idea. So I'm just going to pick out some highlights uh, about her life that really preach the gospel, okay? She was a person of promise. First and foremost, yet she was an orphan. Her parents had both died. It doesn't tell us how they died. But here she is in a foreign land, exiled from the land in which God had given her people. And on top of that, she was a a female and she was an orphan. So think about kind of the lowest position in society you could possibly be in. And right away, the story starts with her cousin actually adopts her. Mordecai, the son of her uncle. No, it was her cousin. The wording is funny because some people think that he was her uncle, but he was actually her cousin. And he gave her dignity. And you have this other drama going on with the king, Artaxerxes. And he's got a wife and he's throwing a party and he's actually conquered and has 127 different districts, realms, so to speak, of different people groups that... He is ruling over. So you could call this guy like a king of kings for that time. The ultimate authority in the earth at this time. And um, he's throwing a party, lavish party with all of his different uh, presidents, so to speak, all of his other rulers. And his, his queen refuses to come to him. And so he decides that through some bad counsel probably, but through some counsel that uh, it's time for a new queen. And so they go on a search throughout all of the land, all of the districts, to find a queen. And Esther gets picked, so they pick several. Of course, her name is Hadassah at this time. But it's such an amazing thing that we're adopted, right? We've been accepted into his family, that we've been adopted. We've been grafted into the family of God because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We become one with him. So here she is. She's adopted. Um, And then her beauty is discovered. You know, once we've been adopted into the family of God, you're not who you used to be. The, the, The beauty of who you are, the beauty of who God created you to be, begins to get discovered. And once that's discovered, she gets taken to the palace. She goes from being in uh, poverty to a place of provision. You know, that is the gospel for us. We've been adopted. We've been redefined for our beauty. We've, We've been identified as a child. And then we're taken into from poverty to provision. Poverty to the palace. I'm telling you that a gospel that says that you're 
to struggle and to be poor is not a great gospel. But God has lavished on us his abundance. In that provision, the the wording there, uh, if you're in in the book of Esther, I'll refer to it, maybe read a little bit out of it. But in chapter 2, I like chapter 2, I think, more than any of them. Uh, But verse 9, it says that she pleased or or won the favor. After she was brought in, she pleased the eunuch, won, won the favor. And she was given everything that she needed. Given everything that she needed. She was given... It says cosmetics. Um, she was given food, so she didn't ever have to worry about, uh, you know, going to the market or what was the next thing that she was going to have to. She was everything was provided for, and she was even given seven of the most. Um, let's see, seven chosen women. So they handpicked seven women to serve her, to help her prepare for the king. Like a, like a royal family. What a picture of salvation. Picked up from being an orphan, transferred into a palace, given everything that you need, even surrounded with those to help you. Amen? So I don't know. We had, oh, there you go, adoption and provision. These are just elements of salvation that I couldn't help but pick out, Right? Uh, and then beautification. And next week I want to talk about this a little bit more, but I'm talking about transformation, right? God loves us so much that when he saved us, he didn't just save us and reserve us, lock us in a box for glory someday. No, he's actually in the process of transforming us into his very image. This beautification process, we call it sanctification. This transformation is called sanctification. You know, when you get saved, you're positionally made holy. You're positionally declared righteous because of our union with Christ. We become one with him. And when God the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. And we spend a lot of our focus and attention talking about when he sees Jesus, he says forgiven. He says redeemed, those kinds of things. But I'm saying that he says holy. been made holy you've been made beautiful you've been made fragrant and yet at the same time he says be holy as he is holy be righteous as he is righteous the fruit of the spirit is all these things so that we're encouraged to go from positional which never changes from positional to possessional. Yes, I made that up. There's a practical side of our holiness and our righteousness that God made us that way so that we could be that way. Not just theoretically like, yeah, no, I just can't quit doing fill in the blank. No, he's given us everything that we need. And there's this process so that the holiness aspect has an effect on the rest of the world, right? So Esther, she goes from this provision place, they take her to a a harem where she's there with lots lots of others and they're all going through this beautification process. 
They spend one year, a whole year on their smell. <laughs> a whole year of being inundated with spices and fragrances and, and myrrh and aloes, oils and stuff to, to correspond or to uh, be compatible with the throne room. You realize that you have been made fragrant and yet you're still in the process of being made fragrant. You ever go to like a really good Mexican restaurant where they've got the They've got the wooden platter and the, the cast iron deal and they make the fajitas and when they come out, it's like, hallelujah, it's a burnt offering before the Lord. You know, it's just like, and the fragrance fills the whole place. You can see the smoke rising, you know. And it's so wonderful in that moment. But you know, you can go an hour, two hours later and go over to your mama's house or whatever and give her a hug and she says, you smell like fajitas. You know, it's because where you hang around, you begin to develop an aroma of that place. Come on. We've been given access to the throne. And when we hang around the Holy Spirit, we become more and more fragrant, like that rose of Sharon, that lily of the valley. More and more, I just want to be there. Because not only was I declared positionally righteous and holy, I'm being made righteous and holy. It changes us on the inside. It changes our thoughts and our desires the more time that we spend with the Lord. We become what he says that we are, not just because he's doing a Jedi mind trick. I say you're holy, so you're holy. That's true. That's how you get in the door, but he's actually got a process that he's taking us through. I I want to capitalize on the salvation experience for all of its worth. And I pray that. Yesterday we spent like two and a half hours right here pacing around just declaring whatever God wanted to pray about. And that was one of them. Lord, let us utilize all that we possibly can in this life of what you've done. Sometimes we just scratch the surface, call it good. And you're good. I mean, it's grace. You're not being judged. Whew. Hard to be royal when you're stinky. <laughs> We've called to, to be royal. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs, it's all about uh, from a mother to a, to a son about how to walk in royalty. And it's just the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. You know, most of that was Solomon writing that words from his mother or whatever, but You know, that's a thing. That's why it's there. That we're being trained up to be royal. You know, it's funny because Alan did a great job last week uh, teaching about the Father's heart. And Brad did a great job teaching about the Father's heart last Sunday. One of the things Alan had said, um, wow, there was the thought and it just went. Hmm. All right, pause. I'll get back to that. Oh, I thought this was cool. 
So, of all the beautiful ladies that had not yet been picked to be the queen, apparently they got the full run of the house. They could pick any of the treasures, any of the adornments, any of the jewels, any of the gold, any of the stuff, earrings, makeup, whatever they wanted. They got to pick whatever they wanted to beautify themselves before they would go and present themselves before the king. And, uh, you know, this story isn't meant to have direct every bit about it. You know, we, we get into trouble if we try to take a, a, an Old Testament Bible story and make every aspect about it fit some sort of spiritual reality. But there's some that I'm mining out of here, okay? This is a real story. This wasn't just a metaphor so that we could learn from. This was a real story about real people that really happened. Anyways, um, she got to pick whatever she wanted, but you know what she did? Through wisdom, she asked the eunuch for his opinion because he knows what the king likes. While the other ones were always just doing what they felt like the king wanted. You know, in our sanctification process, the Holy Spirit is the best place to spend your time because he knows what Jesus likes. He knows what pleases the Father. We can waste a lot of time and energy doing stuff that we think that God wants us to do. And it may be good stuff, beautiful stuff. It may not be what he wants to see. And by her doing that, it really made a difference. She was the one that was chosen. Mm. Flowing with the Holy Spirit is what makes us fragrant. Whew. Smell like the throne. <laughs> the next element that I saw was coronation. The Queen Esther was coronated. It means to put a crown on she had been chosen to be the queen. Realize that you've been given a crown, crown of glory is Jesus' crown. But somehow or another, we crown him with many crowns. Thank you, Lafayette. That was beautiful. Prophetic word, we crown him now with many crowns. The ones that he's given us. As he's declared you royal, of the royal bloodline, Chapter 2 in the book of Esther, verse 17 and 18 says, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. Got her own feast. I love this. He also granted a remission of all of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. You know, when you carry your royalty, when you step into royalty, when you've been coronated, you reek with the generosity of God. You're like contagious with the generosity of God. When, when we step into the royal place that God has actually called us, a kingdom of priests. Everybody around us is blessed. 
That's how you know whether you're walking in the royalty that he's given you or not. If people around you are getting touched, they're getting blessed. He throws a feast on our behalf. Uh, Then we move on to chapter three and we see trouble in paradise. That's when this Haman character pops up. There's a story that Mordecai is in the gate because he often was a wise man that would stand in the gate. That's what wise guys did. Stand in the gate. But some of the, uh, it's funny, the wording eunuchs, but some of the rulers there uh, that were closest to the king at the time were actually plotting to overthrow the king and Mordecai heard of it and ratted him out and they actually were dealt with and removed. Uh, And then Haman gets promoted. And like power usually does, it goes straight to the guy's head and he starts demanding that people worship him. Bow. And that's what gets Mordecai in trouble. I'm a Jew, I don't bow. I don't do that. Worship God alone, that's it. That's against my belief system. It's my worldview, sorry, can't do it. And Esther is faced with the challenge to deal with it because Haman plots this crazy scheme. This is where we get the word Purim or lots. He spends a whole year casting lots, basically it's rolling dice, so to speak. Casting lots to figure out, I've got this plan, he's working on this evil. You know, the enemy's always working, trying to come up with a scheme, trying to find a way that he can get us. But his plan was to destroy not just Mordecai, but all of his, anybody like him. Because of his religion, they won't bow to me, so they all got to die. Because that's how offended he was with the fact that they wouldn't fear him. So he spends a whole year trying to come up with a plot how to kill him. You know, and I love it that the celebration is actually called Lot's. Because the lot belongs to the Lord. That's somewhere in the scripture. I don't remember where. But the lot belongs to the Lord. In other words, this random happenstance that when the enemy tries to overthrow the people of God, to eliminate the people of God, it's the absolute undoing of the enemy. Like at the cross. The devil thought he'd really won the big one. Got the son of God, he made himself a man. What a dumb thing to do. I'm going to crucify him. And then I will never have to worry about him again. Whoops. That didn't work. <laughs> Surprise. Uh. So we have this concept of casting crowns. You know, he gives us this royal crown that is his to begin with so that we can follow him. He took his royal crown, the crown of thorns, so that we can offer it back for the sake of salvation, for the sake of deliverance for those around us, for the people of God. He does this amazing thing. It was illegal for anyone to approach the king. And Mordecai comes and he says, hey, I found out that there's this plot because Haman... um, makes up this story from the king and the king gives him authority to destroy this evil people group. That's the way he portrayed them. He sends out an edict in all 127 provinces that on this particular day, the 13th of Adar, you have an edict and a responsibility and even the authority by the stamp of the king, by his 
ring to destroy the people of God. Mordecai makes it known to Esther and says, hey, I need you to do something about this. And she says, you don't understand. I can't just go into the king. Anybody that approaches the king and he doesn't extend the step scepter to them, they die on the spot. And it's like forbidden to do that. And he just booted his other wife out. So, you know, it, she was pretty terrified at the idea. And he makes this statement, and that's the name of the, of the sermon today, is for such a time as this. He says that, hey, look, you don't do it today, not even your royal crown will stop what's going to happen. You'll be destroyed too. But I know this, Mordecai says, that the deliverance for the Jews will happen because that's the God we serve. It's going to happen. Salvation runs throughout history. Same God. He says, perhaps for such a time as this, you've been picked for the throne. And as we look at great evil today and the stuff that's going on, and it's like if you listen to the news or even feel the tension in the air, it, it causes us to want to recoil and hide and say, Lord, this is beyond our ability to deal with. And yes, it is. But you have access to the king, the king of all kings that rules over everything. And he's already dealt with evil at the cross. And he's called us to walk it out with him, to cast our crowns before his feet, to declare him worthy, worthy, worthy. Right? It's always a funny thing. We, we love being in the palace and we love the crown. We love the authority. And yet the kingdom and the crown go hand in hand. Those two are the same thing. Sorry, kingdom and the cross go hand in hand. So Esther, through chapter four through six, she leverages her royalty at risk of death. You know, we don't have to fear death. You cannot die. You will not die. We can absolutely step into whatever it is that God's calling us to do to bring the kingdom everywhere we go. As you know, if you know the story, how this goes, she goes before the king and she's tactful. Well, actually, she said, look, if I die, I die. I'm going before the king. I got it, okay? If I perish, I perish. She says, tell everybody to fast and pray. That's not insignificant. It's a big deal. We're in this together. And that's why this us having prayer on Saturday mornings is so powerful. We're, we're, we're praying for world leaders. We're praying for the people of Russia, for Ukraine, for the United States, for our, our politicians, for our, our leaders, that God have mercy and guide them in truth and justice and all that stuff. You know, that's what we're called to do. We're called to represent the throne of God everywhere we go here on earth. She didn't do it just on her own. You know, the, the Lord actually through, I believe through the prayer and fasting, the Lord shows up to the king and the king just starts wondering, hey, whatever happened to the guy that heard about that plot to overthrow me? Just randomly, the timing of that. And they said, oh, I don't know. We got it written a book. Well, bring me the books. He's up, he can't sleep at night. That's the Holy Spirit at work, right? He gets out the books and he starts reading. Oh, it's this, this guy, Mordecai. Well, what do we do for him? They said, well, nothing's been done for him. Oh my gosh, well, who's out in the court? 
And Haman's out there like rubbing his hands together. I'm gonna, they're all going to die in just a couple of days. And they say, oh, Haman's out there. Oh, good, he's my best guy. Bring him in here. I'll let him make the decision. So, hey, what, what should we do for someone who just, you know, saved the king's life? Or who's the best? Uh, I forget the wording there, but basically for the best in the kingdom, you know, for someone who's done the most for the king. And he's thinking, oh, it's me. So let's see, I know what we ought to do. You know, you ought to put a robe on him and put him on your horse and cart him around through the streets and talk about how wonderful he is. And he's like, good, you should do that. So there's this guy named Mordecai. Little does he know, he hates Mordecai, the one guy that won't worship him. And he, the enemy becomes terrified because he's like, something's afoot. He knows that something's not right. And he goes and tells his family, I was celebrating, but now I think things are not turning out so good for me. But I love how we see the partnership with heaven. You know, uh, she didn't have to do all that manipulating and talking. You know, we get more done on our knees than we do by trying to figure out how to make it happen. She just made herself vulnerable. She took the risk and put it in there and then was leaning on the Lord. And the Lord absolutely showed up in this case. <clears throat> she, had, she threw a banquet for the king. Actually, a couple of meals, a feast for Haman and, and the king. And in the, in the feast, uh, right after he just made Mordecai uh, exalted, he gets called into the feast and it's in that moment that the plot is undone, um, word of the plot gets undone before the king and she reveals, I'm a Jew. And the king is just like incensed, like I cannot believe this. Who, who did this? This wicked guy... <laughs> Evil will be found out. There's coming a day when we don't have to worry about how. It just happens. It can't stay hidden forever. This is a word of encouragement because we could listen to the news and get all heavy and get actually paralyzed. You know, paralysis sets in. As a believer, we just don't know what to do. Yeah, and you can trust the Lord that just as sure as his word, the promise is on the people of God You've been grafted into the people of God. You've been made royal, been adopted. Uh, we will not fear. I mean, there's talk of World War III going on, you know. You can feel the breath of the enemy saying your kids and grandkids, no future for them. Your finances, you're going to go belly up. All these things, I'm not having it. I'm just not having it. We serve a, a God who has a vast expanse of resources. He's not limited. You have access to all the treasures in the throne room. He's not limited by what we see. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Mm. So, you know, levering our airship with Christ, you know, we've been made co-heirs with him. Leveraging our authority. Now, what does it look like? It looks like operating in the opposite spirit. Charge yourself up in the presence of the Lord. Exalt him. You exalt him, he'll lift you up. And then you got your thinking straight. And then you can go out in power. 
Go buy somebody a tank of gas. <laughs> Go buy somebody a tank of gas. I know it might cost you $100, but <laughs> I hadn't heard anybody doing that yet. I haven't done it yet, but I guarantee you, you will absolutely shift that person's atmosphere. And, and God will make a way for you to have plenty of money to buy somebody a tank of gas. That's like Haman being hung on his own device. And that's what happened to the enemy at the cross, hung on his own device, all of his sons. Man, talk about the, the threat of the enemy. He didn't just make a, you know, a gallows over here, enough for your feet to dangle. It was 50 cubits. That's like 75, 80 foot high. That's like twice the height of, maybe three times the height of this building so that everybody in the town could, ooh, be terrified. That's what the devil does. He likes to make a spectacle. And guess what? He's caught in his own devices every time. All right. So the last element of salvation that I wanted to point out was adjudication. I was laughing with Matthew about this. Like, does that sound like a preacher just trying to come up with a word to fit in there? You know, we've been given the authority then to adjudicate or to legislate. Our salvation experience isn't just such that we would eat bonbons in the throne room, you know, that the Lord actually has stuff for us to do to adjudicate and legislate and to declare into heaven and earth what we bind on earth is bound in heaven. What's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. We actually have power, power is in your words, life and death and the power of the tongue, amen? And I love this part of the story because um, the king says, hey, I'm gonna give you whatever you want. I mean, up to half the kingdom, you say it, you've got it. And the the ring, as Haman's hung, he put his royal ring, which had his stamp on it, which was his name, the name of the king, with the authority of the king, put it back on his hand, but then when Mordecai came up, Mordecai became that position, the second host in the kingdom. Mordecai was given the ring. It wasn't just Queen Esther that had this authority and power, but together the two of them then wrote edicts and sent out because they, you know, the, the, what had been set in motion by the king because the king's stamp had been on the first one, they couldn't just say, yeah, tear that up, that's null and void couldn't do that because the king's word can't go back but what did happen was they wrote a new edict giving the people of God the authority to protect themselves and to fight against their enemies and even even the officials we'll call them the police so to speak of the day uh, that were observing this they didn't enforce anything because they were like we're staying out of it because they could tell that the king actually delighted in this decree over the other one That's, that is our mandate, right? Go ye therefore into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. That we actually get to take the salvation that we have and work with it so that we can make declarations and decrees and legislate the will of the Father around us so that those around us have the power to set themselves free. What an, what an amazing reality that was. It's like 
The power of sin and death is still rolling like a rolling stone. And yet a new order, a new decree, everlasting life has been issued. Amen? And that's the one we get to walk in. Adjudicate the goodness of God. Woo! I don't know where I'm going with this. I just thought it was beautiful. We have been called for such a time as this. It's always, today is the day of salvation. No matter where we're at, we have the opportunity to take advantage of this great salvation and share it with the world around us. Here's some other fun verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. 24, then comes the end. Talking about the eschatology here from 1 Corinthians. It's Paul. When he delivers the kingdom of God the, uh, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. I'd like to say that there's not evil anymore, but guess what? Evil is still there. And he's still working on putting it under his feet. For he must reign. Sounds like uh, an oxymoron or something, right? For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And basically he's quoting this one. Psalms 110, one through three says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. We know that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father and we're seated with him, right, in heavenly places until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. The scepter was extended, just like with Esther. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. You understand that we actually have the ability to rule in Jesus' rule. He's ruling in the midst of his enemies. Your people will offer themselves. Here's where you come in. Your people will offer themselves freely. Other versions say your people will be volunteers in the day of your power. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. You've been made holy. Be holy. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. What an amazing messianic prophecy. See, he has taken the power of the enemy away, but yet evil still exists. And it's through, in and through his church, through his presence as we carry his presence, that all enemies are being made to be under his footstool. Meaning, under his feet, like he's got his foot on their neck. We do not have to put up with evil, but our, the way in which we deal with it matters. Get more done on our knees. More done through the cross, which means buy somebody a tank of gas. Whatever it is, operate in the opposite spirit. We do not have to worry about self-preservation, self-gratification. The Lord's got so much for you. You smell like the throne. Uh, all right, let's stand up. Why don't we just step into this? I'm, I'm done. Did I mention that Purim is Wednesday? All over the planet, Jewish people are celebrating Purim. That was a timing thing. I just thought it'd be a fun, fun way to share the gospel.
while the rest of the planet's talking about it. Mordecai made it a law with the king's signet ring from then on out that they should celebrate Purim. So they've done it ever since. And part of their deal is to share food and gifts and throw a party. (laughs) The Christian life, as we lay down and cast our crowns before the Lord and make sacrifices, there's so much abundance in the kingdom, it ought to look like a party. We could do it with joy, with a big smile on our face, because we know that God just delights in providing everything that you need. So Lord, today, why don't we just hold our hands out. Lord, today... We just release, we shake off the threats of the enemy. Fear. Lord, the the stifling words that we've heard, Lord, that would cause us to shrink back. Lord, we, we step forward into your reality. The reality of our good, good father. The reality of the, the royal robes in which you've clothed us with. The throne, Lord, that you've allowed us to sit on in Jesus. And Lord, we declare that we will not shrink back, God. We will be a people of prayer. We will be a people that linger in your presence, Lord. Lord, I don't want to live any other way. I want to be aware of your presence 24-7, God. Aware of what is being said in heaven. Lord, I thank you that not only positionally have you placed us there, But God, as we lean in, that heaven knows our voice. We're heard in the throne. And our words and our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. Lord, we're asking that this week that you would lead us and guide us with your presence into encounters, God, where we can actually set people free. Lord, we were praying yesterday that just like the disciples, the apostles in the early days of the church, that even their shadow would fall on people and they'd be healed. Lord, I pray that over this body while they can hear me because we did it yesterday. But Lord, that everywhere that they go, they would be so saturated, blanketed with your presence. So fragrant with the Holy Spirit. So covered in your spices and your oils before your throne, God, that when they go places, people are getting healed and delivered. Stuff like touching the the handle of the gas pump just because you touched it. Very steps that, that we take, God, would just be saturated with your presence. People follow us in the line at Walmart. And the spirit of the living God begins to come over them of the goodness of God. Lord, we get to live like this. We we don't want to neglect this salvation, God. Salvation is like this ocean that we step into that is Jesus.
just declare the abundance of the throne of God over you. I declare breakthrough in your calling. I just declare a deluge of the Holy Spirit in your personal life. It's our great honor and our great privilege and our great pleasure, Lord, to cast our crowns. This amazing, lavish gift that you've spent on us, Lord. We throw them at your feet, Lord, and we just declare that you are worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Lord, you were amazing when we met you you are amazing now we have no idea Lord the things that you've prepared for us that love you we don't want to miss a bit declare the more of God over you Jesus name Jesus name If there's anything that you're walking through the church is the answer we're here for one another as I meet with people throughout the week my heart does break as I can talk all this glory and fire and thunder and stuff but I mean people are going through real stuff and we overcome through the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb and we're here for one another so why don't we have a few leaders come up if, if there's any thing that you're walking through that you want somebody to agree with you in prayer come on up and get get the love of Jesus just poured on you and if there's anything that's beyond something that you feel like you want to share at the altar please reach out to the church and call me I'm here thank you for listening to the consumed church weekly podcast this entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels if you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.